Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. The other day, someone asked me, so, how are the art trips? And I honestly didn't really know what to say. I mean, it's been a crazy couple months for everybody, right? But, but life's not bad. I mean, on one hand, some of our normal rhythms aren't, aren't happening. The Hilliard pool is closed. It's hard for me to express how much this ruins my summer. But then I thought, well, we, we also bought a pool at Walmart. I've got my own backyard hillbilly paradise. Maybe life's not too bad. Then I thought about my sons and I thought about the fact that the Franklin County Fair isn't happening as we know it this year. There's no rides. There's no people. They're still going to get to show their chickens. Don't you worry. And they're going to make more money than a 10 and a 12 year old deserve to make for selling some chickens. But things just aren't the same. I don't know if my kids are going back to school, but they're probably going to go back to some school. And so in a lot of ways, that's better than it was in the spring. We've been doing some hiring at the office. We finally have been able to uh, bring our new operations coordinator, Leah, on staff, and that's exciting. And yet we're still looking for a director of family ministries, someone to oversee movement kids and movement students. And so it's good, but there's always more that I want. Church life in general feels good, and yet I don't know when we're going to meet next. Hopefully some announcements soon, but nothing yet. And so things are not great, but they're not bad. Things are good, but they could be better. And I realized that this pandemic for me is a constant mental exercise to answer this question. So how are the art trips? How's life? Are things good? And I'm being polled and, and we, we, we don't know sometimes. Am I, am I happy? Do I have joy? Am I content right now? We started this series in the book of Philippians to talk about this topic of joy and contentment. We're looking at this book because we think that this topic is never more relevant than right now in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of canceled plans and restarted plans and expectations and not knowing what's next. This is a moment that we can ask, am I content? Am I finding joy? Am I happy? And where is my joy? I assume I'm not the only one who struggles with this, and so I'm excited for us to kind of dig into this passage today and look at Philippians chapter 4 as the finale to this series. Let me read Philippians 4, 11 through 13. You can follow along, take some notes, and let's see what God wants to teach us today as we study together. Philippians 4, verse 10. We'll start for some context. It says this, How I praise the Lord, that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Paul is writing to the Philippians. This church has been concerned about him. They're asking about him, and he's telling them his final thesis as he closes this letter. He says in 11, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. 
Well, Paul, like I said, is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. He's risking his life as he lives this ministry lifestyle, as he lives to build the church. And he's been out and, and, and advancing the gospel, but he's, he's suffered. He's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been robbed. He's gone without food and water. He's gone without shelter and clothing. And you can imagine that his life is this constant up and down struggle And he's probably had moments where he didn't feel content or where he didn't feel like he had joy. And yet he's writing this as a man who has his PhD in suffering and a man who knows how to focus and be content. And he says this statement. He says, listen, I know the secret of living in every situation, not just when things are good and not just when things are bad. I know the secret to every situation, not some situations, all situations. And he says this in verse 13, and maybe you know this verse because it's kind of popular. He says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, maybe your translation that you're reading today says, I can do all three things through Christ who gives me strength. That's an interesting verse. And if I were to give a trophy today for the verse that's most often overused or taken out of context by Christians and American evangelicals, that would probably be it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We love to say that verse. You're playing some sports. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I've even heard Steph Curry say that verse. I know he's got some shirts that have it on there. I've been saying that verse for a long time and I can't shoot like Steph Curry. Maybe you're starting a new business. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Maybe you're going for that big promotion. Maybe you want to have a better sex life. I can do all, I'm, I'm just joking. I just wanted to see if you were awake this morning, but we've made this verse into a spiritual rabbit's foot. We've made it this genie in a bottle that we can rub and we think that it's like steroids for the big final exam that we didn't study for it anyway. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But what we're missing out on is that Paul is saying that verse 13 is his secret for being content, for finding joy, no matter what is happening in your life. You want to be content? Read verse 13. You want to find joy? Read verse 13. Paul is saying, do everything through Jesus and you can be content in everything. Do everything empowered and walking with Jesus and you can be content in everything. He's saying that our life isn't about what you accomplish. It's about how you do whatever you're going to do. And Paul is saying that your life is more about your perspective than your achievement. Our emotions can swing in these extreme directions. And so sometimes when we're successful, we're tempted to think we're awesome. And when we're not successful, we're tempted to be depressed about it. Sometimes when we have a lot of money, we think I've conquered life, I've figured it out. And when we're without money, we think I'm a failure, I'm a loser. You might see these extremes happen and I wanna let you know that both of these are dangerous, and yet Paul's saying when you're living life in Jesus, you can adjust to this extreme and you can adjust and overcome this extreme. Paul is saying that before, during, and after anything that's good or bad or anything that you attempt or anything that happens to you, Jesus is your anchor. Jesus is your provider. Jesus is your counselor. Jesus is your savior and your friend, and when he is your focus, when you're living through him, you'll live life to the fullest, and you'll know that he alone is what gives you perspective. 
See, this struggle for joy, this quest for purpose, this quest for contentment is not found in the places that we want to look, but contentment looks like this. It looks like laying your head down at the end of the day and being happy with your life, being happy with your career, being happy with your marriage and your relationships, not because they're perfect, not because you're perfect, but because you're resting in Jesus and you know that he's in control. Contentment doesn't mean that you don't get restless. Contentment doesn't mean that you don't lose your temper, that you don't suddenly get worried or have anxiety or you're not mad at some time. But contentment means that your relationship with Jesus takes you from one extreme and another extreme and centers you and centers your emotions. And nothing can knock you off. Nothing can drag you down. Contentment is knowing that you were never that important but that life was always about Jesus. And so you're not distracted by yourself or by the things around you. Well, chapter four isn't the only time in this book that Paul talks about this topic. It's not the only time that Paul gives some wisdom on our search for joy and this constant struggle to be content and live through Christ. In fact, if we go back into chapter three, he's been dropping this theme all along, dropping some some nuggets and things that we can collect. And so I wanna read chapter three, start in verse one. It says this, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things and I do it to safeguard your faith. See, Paul's been saying this all along. He's been reminding us, sometimes like a teacher would, Hey, don't forget about this. Hey, think about this. Sometimes like a coach has as we've grown up or a mentor. Sometimes we turn off the wisdom of others and Paul has been consistently saying this. Hey, if you wanna be content, hey, if you wanna find joy, here's the secret. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to think about. I've shared before, my dad is a man of some classic one-liners. He loves to say some statements, and he used to say this statement to us over and over again as me and my brothers were growing up. He would say, the most important thing to finding a wife is finding someone who loves Jesus. Now, that's a loaded statement, but he would say that to us at the age of 8 and 10 and 16. The most important thing about finding a wife is finding someone who loves Jesus. Another time I remember him saying this statement, he would say, before you marry someone, remember that you're marrying the entire family. I hope you're taking notes. Today isn't about raising a family or relationships, but he would say this to us. Before you marry someone, remember that you're marrying the entire family. That's a powerful statement, but I think often my dad would say that and me and my brothers would be missing the point. Sometimes he would have to break these statements down even more and he would have to say them as questions or as statements that we could remember or think about from another angle. And so rather than saying the most important thing about finding a wife is finding someone who loves Jesus, he would just say it to us like this. He would say, marry a girl who loves Jesus. Marry a girl who reminds you of your mom. He knew that she was setting that example. And so sometimes he was saying, hey, if, if you can't think about it like this, think about it like this. Find a girl that reminds you of your mom. Maybe sometimes he would say, uh, instead of looking for a girl who, who loves Jesus, find someone that, that looks like your mom. Or maybe he would, he would say this statement, instead of thinking about how you want to raise your kids someday, just ask, 
Do I want to be around this family? Your spouse is going to raise your kids like their siblings were raised. And so just ask that question. Is this a family that I want my family to turn out like? My dad would, would ask these questions. He would simplify these questions because sometimes we get caught in the, the lofty statements and we can't think about the practicality. Paul is, is, is giving us these nuggets in the same way. He's saying that finding joy and contentment can be tough. And so he's going to highlight some things that can take our attention, can rob our joy, can distract us, can take our contentment. And so if, if you're able to look at your life and you're able to say, I don't know if I'm living through Christ. I don't know if I'm finding joy. I don't know if I'm content. Think about this list that I'm about to give you. These are some things that can distract you. These are some things that can rob your joy. These are some different ways to look at it in a roundabout way and ask, am I content? Am I finding joy? Am I living through Christ in all circumstances? Paul says this in verse two, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. If you're finding that you don't have joy or maybe that you're not able to be content with your life, I wanna let you know that there's no joy there's no contentment in legalism. Verses two and three have told us that pretty clear. And the Jewish people historically were circumcised. They had a relationship with God and that was represented of their covenant with God. But Jesus came and, and eliminated that forever and he changed their relationship with him. He was the covenant that they had with God and he was the sacrifice that forever erased their sins, erased their wrongdoing and changed everything by his death burial and resurrection on the cross. And so Paul is saying, you don't have to perform. You don't have to follow these rules. There's no joy in legalism. Sometimes we're trying to follow God so much and trying to be good enough and trying to be a, a person who follows the rules and fits in. And we're maybe finding that there's no joy in that. There's no joy in legalism. He says this in verse four, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Well, Paul has already said, if you're struggling with joy, if you're struggling with contentment, there's no joy in legalism. And now he's telling us in these verses, verses four and five, there's no good in the flesh. Whatever rules you've tried to follow, however good you think you are, you're never going to be enough. You're never going to be able to find fulfillment in yourself and the things that you do and the things that you attempt and the things that you accomplish. If you could, Paul would have found it. The Pharisees would have found it. And yet Jesus always looked at them and he said, you need to know me. You need to find fulfillment in a relationship with me. You need to find joy and contentment in a relationship with me. See, there's no good in the flesh. Verse seven goes on to say this. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless with compared, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. There's no joy in legalism. There's no good in the flesh. 
And in verses seven and eight, Paul is letting us know that there's no future in the past. The things that we esteem, the things that we celebrate, the things that we like to hang our hat on and think we're amazing accomplishments, the things that set us up and give us a reputation, the truth is they just don't matter. It's okay if you thought that your accomplishments had value. We all get tripped up in that. But the reality is this, that our life on earth is but a a short breath. You're going to die, I'm going to die, and our accomplishments and our resume and the things that we've done won't be remembered by our kids or our kids' kids or 100 years from now. They just won't matter. And so living for the past, living for achievement, living for what people think of us is a dead end road. There's no future in the past. Verse nine goes on to say this. Paul has, has just said, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. See, we're talking about joy and we're talking about contentment. And I've raised this question and some of us are looking at our lives and saying, yeah, I don't have joy. Yeah, I'm not content, but what's the answer, Mark? And so far I've said, well, think about it this way. Ask yourself this question. Think about it from this angle. And all we've said is there's no joy in legalism. There's no joy in following the rules or being good enough. There's no good in the flesh. There's no future in the past. And you're like, okay, Mark, you've pointed out that I don't have contentment. You've pointed out that I don't have joy. And now I'm just super depressed because I realize I have nothing and I am nothing and I know that that's a terrible place to be. But sometimes when we're at rock bottom, when we realize who we are and where we're at, that's what God can use the most. And so this verse says that we can't count on ourselves or count on obeying the law or being righteous, but what makes us righteous is faith in Christ. See, Jesus knew that we were lost. Jesus knew that we weren't fulfilled. Jesus knew that we couldn't find joy and we couldn't be content. When life is good, when life is bad, or no matter where life is, we would be lost. And so he came to this world and he gave his life to pay the price for the sin that's in our lives, the sin that's in our hearts, the wrong things that we've done that rob our attention away from God and, and, and steal our lives. And Jesus came and gave his life to remove that sin and suffering from our lives. And because of his finished work on the cross, he, he built a bridge so that we could have a relationship with God the Father, so that we could know God the Father, so that we could know his love, so that we could rest in relationship with him as we were created to. And that's why Paul is pointing out that we're made righteous through faith in Christ. We're not made righteous because we're good enough. We're not made righteous because we're good at following rules. We're not made righteous because of the things we achieve or the things we've done or the things we're going to do or the person that we pretend to be. No, all of those things are rubbish. They're filthy rags. They're they're garbage and they don't matter. We're made righteous. We're made right with God because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And we're fulfilled and we're made whole because we're found in him because we surrender our lives to him, because we merge our agenda and our life with his life and his agenda. And when we're found in him, we have joy and we have contentment. Before I go on and read verse 10, I want you to notice the the language that Paul uses here, because Paul is an interesting case study. 
His name used to be Saul, and he was someone who, per, who persecuted Christians, who killed Christians, who chased them down, and, and yet he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. His life was changed, and he adopted a life goal that was very different from his previous one. And this is a challenge for you and I. What does it look like to have joy? What does it look like to live with contentment? What does it look like to live life through Christ as Paul was urging the Philippians? Well, this is what it looks like. He says this in verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And he gives us some advice here because I know how difficult this is. I know that we struggle to to find joy. I know that we struggle to be content. And I know that we struggle to think, where is life going right now? Where's my career going? Where's my family going? What's gonna happen this fall? What happened to my church? Do I even still have friends? I understand the weight of all those things. And yet this is what Paul says this is the advice that he gives us. He tells us to press on toward the goal. Verse 12, he says this, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. If you've lost your contentment, if you've lost your joy, He's saying, keep going, keep moving, keep pressing on, keep seeking Jesus, keep living life through him and looking to him. Don't find joy and don't find contentment and don't look for joy and contentment in other things. Don't look for them in legalism. Don't look for them in your own flesh. Don't look for them in the past in your own accomplishment, but keep going, keep working. Verse 13, he says this, No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past, And looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Every week we say that our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. And we believe that that starts with a one-time decision to trust Jesus, to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe there's someone that needs to do that today. Maybe there's someone who's been looking for joy and fulfillment, and for the first time you're realizing that that starts in Jesus. For those of us who have made that decision, maybe you need to hear that you just need to keep moving, to keep pressing on and keep walking after Jesus. Paul said that I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. See, we're not residents of of this earth. We're not residents of this world. We're residents of heaven. And so our lives should look different. Our joy should look different. Our contentment should look different and our decision-making and our living should look different. And we should keep pressing on, even when life doesn't make sense, even when we don't want to, even when we don't know what God is doing, we should keep pressing on. Here's a challenge that I think we can all accept. Verse 15 says, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. As you find joy in Jesus, as you find contentment with living life through him, are you able to pattern your life after the example of others that have gone before you? Are you able to be an example to those that are looking to you, to the people that you're mentoring, to the people that you work with, to your own children, to your family members? What are you patterning to those people in your life? And then Paul gives us one more distraction, one more thing that we need to keep our eyes on here. 
Verse 18, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Paul's letting us know one final time that there's no righteousness apart from Christ. Verses 18 and 19 make that clear that life is about more than hooking up and life is about more than partying every weekend and life is about more than finally being able to afford a boat and life is more about making your landscaping look good and life is about more than granite countertops and life is about more than that dream promotion you've always wanted. Life is about more than finally having some investment properties. See, the reality is that a lot of us try to define ourselves or say that we're fulfilled because of sex. Some of us try to define ourselves or say that we're fulfilled because we finally lost that weight or got in shape. Those things won't fulfill us. Those things can't define us. And those things won't give us joy. Athletic achievement won't fulfill you. Marriage won't even fulfill you. Having a perfect family and dozens of kids won't fulfill you. Being the best sibling or the best child or the best employee or the best person or the best philanthropist will not fulfill you and will not give you joy. Fulfillment and joy is only found in living life through a relationship with Jesus. Joy and contentment are only found in Jesus. Verse 20 says this, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we eagerly are waiting for him to return as our savior. We're not citizens of this place and we must think differently. And so the places that we go looking for joy and the places that we find contentment can't be the places that the world finds contentment. We have to know that a life centered on Jesus is a life that's worth living. And we have to know that Jesus came to give us life, came to fulfill us, and came to give us joy, but the response is up to us. Will you find joy? Will you find contentment in Jesus? Or will you get tripped up and distracted by some of these things that we mentioned, some of these things that Paul gave us today? There's no joy in legalism. There's no good in the flesh. There's no future in the past, and there's no righteousness apart from Christ but do you know where there is joy? Do you know where there is contentment? It's in Jesus. Find your joy in Jesus as you live your life through a relationship with him. Let me pray as we close. God, thank you for today. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus so that we could find joy, so that we could find fulfillment, so that we could find contentment. God, right now it is so difficult to know what's next, to know where life is going and to know the status of our career and our family and the school year and our social life, and so many things. So Lord, help us to dig in to you and into a relationship with you. Help us to anchor ourselves in the one thing that never changes, and that is your love, and that is the fulfillment and hope that you give us. God, help us to be a church, to be leaders, to be family members, to be parents, to be employees, to be people who are anchored in you and find joy and contentment in you, and we're not distracted or confused by other things. Jesus, thank you for being our joy. It's in your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, 
getting connected or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. 